I think a lot of us, especially early on in our careers, make the mistake of thinking that professionalism is the personality. Yeah. And then we're not a person. Well, you can't connect to a non-person. Like you have to have something about you that people want. Okay. you to hit forward on your best email of the week. And so I just, I'll send out a request and I'll say, we're having a competition. I want to see who gave the best piece of advice, whose client asked the best question this week. And it helps create more engaged social media channels. And sometimes you can forward it to the client and say, you inspired this great advice and we won't tag you in it because it's your question, it's confidential, but we're so proud to have clients that are leading the thought process in this arena. Welcome to season five of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powell. Powers with Event Marketing Partners and Powers of Marketing, and Jen Cole with Gretemann Group and Xstand. This show is for all levels of experience talking marketing and business with the best guests in the industry. It's important to keep up on the latest trends and topics, and this is just the spot. Two guarantees, you will learn and laugh. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 102 of the Making Marketer podcast. This podcast is made possible by Powers of Marketing, focusing on strategic content creation, including podcast and event production, hosting, and emceeing. I'm Megan Powers with Event Marketing Partners, and my trusty sidekick is Jen Cole with Credman Group. How are you? Hey, I'm doing really good. Having a wonderful day today. Spring is in the air, and I'm just really happy about it. Yeah, we are recording on Friday, which is not the norm for us. And so <laughs> I'm feeling some weekend vibes. I'm looking forward to the weekend. Is oh, anything yeah. fun planned? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we just had a couple of family members on Tim's side call us yesterday and say, hey, we think we want to come up and visit this weekend, which is fun because it's my birthday weekend. And so I'm like, yay, people. Oh, my God, this is going to be so much fun. And so I'm hosting this weekend and we have some fun live music we're going to go see and some friends that we're going to cook out with and family. And it's going to be great. I'm excited. Happy birthday. Hopefully we'll get this published on your birthday. So Ooh. listen to this. On March 27th, you can wish Miss Jen Cole a happy, happy last year of her 30s. <laughs> <laughs> Fact. <laughs> what I when did I call it? I forget. I had a theme when I turned when I turned 39, but we don't need to get in that. Let's talk about the show. I'm super excited for our guest today. It is Miss Amy Knightley. How are you today, Amy? Hi, I'm great. I didn't realize I was going to get to be part of the birthday episode. <laughs> Yay! We recorded on my actual birthday a few years ago, which was pretty fun. And we were in person too, which yeah. is even better, oh, which yeah. is a rare occasion. All right, so I'm going to read Amy's bio. Amy Knightley is a marketing strategist who helps professionals design stronger connections and expand their reach. She's best known for her gritty approach to problem solving and shifting people's perception of what marketing looks like. Her consulting firm, Savvy Mutter, helps clients shift growth trajectories by analyzing data sets to listen and then build audience-centric processes and channels. Excellent. Quickly, can you tell us what's the story behind your company name? 
savvy mutter. Yep. So I am a former golfer and I I don't know if anyone in the audience shares that experience with me, but sometimes we have to play, especially in the spring, we got to play in really horrible conditions. And uh, one of the things growing up, I became known as a mutter because I would post my best record-breaking rounds in the absolute worst weather. It would be a torrential downpour in Southern Arkansas. I would be coated in mud. My hands are wet. My clothes are sopping. I've spent five hours in a downpour and I would post just a phenomenal score. And it just does something. That little bit of extra challenge of playing in the rain does something for your brain. It forces you to really be critical and and place your shots because we don't always have control around our environment or what type of course we're going to play on. And so that was a characteristic that I wanted to bring into my business because what I find with clients is you will never have the perfect circumstances to grow your business. You're going to lack money. You're going to lack historic knowledge with your team. You're going to be in a position where you feel like your hands are too, have too much on your hands, too much on your plate. And I, I don't work with clients that are in perfect circumstances. We figure out how do we work with what we have today to move the ball further down the field. And so I wanted to bring that athletic legacy that I built up that reputation and transfer it to my work. My hope is that that help encourages clients to stop waiting. Don't wait two years to step into a growth mode because the world changes and we can make something out of what you have. Super smart. I love a good sports reference. Yeah. <laughs> <about> <laughs> um, and I know ne- I'd heard the term duffer, but I never heard, heard the term mutter before. So I learned something new. That's fabulous. It comes from the racetrack. Um, okay. I grew up down near hot springs. And when they run horses in the mud, you'll see jockeys that have multiple pairs of goggles on and they just flip a row off because mud's flying up constantly from the horse hooves and they'll just chunk goggles through the layers so that they can retain visibility. And so they would call horses that perform best on muddy track conditions, mudders. Um, and that came over into the golf world. Very cool. Yeah, that is really, really cool. All right, Jen, let's let's get this party started. Oh my gosh, I, I love today's topic. I know that I say that probably every single time, but I'm really excited about this one. We're talking today about writing for the relationship. So to start us off, Amy, why do you feel like it's so important for you to understand where your customer stands with your brand in order to communicate with them effectively across channels? I think when we are looking to write service line copy or product copy, we think about what we see as valuable and we infuse a lot of our own bias into that. And we write copy for ourselves. Well, the problem is if your primary audience had the same background and history as you, they wouldn't need you. And so sometimes we have to step back and say, I don't need to start writing until I've listened first. And we need to ask questions. And that applies to people who have been in their role for five years and for 50 years. Your needs are not the star of the show. So you need to just ask the questions and reach out. And what I want people to listen when they ask those questions, ask to record and use their specific words. Because oftentimes the words that the professionals in the industry use are not related at all to the words that everyday people use. And I'll, I do a lot of work in healthcare. And so I'll give you an example. We write a lot about the primary care physician, the PCP. And if you work in the industry, that's what they're called. I have never once heard someone outside of healthcare use that term. They say my doctor and they say my doctor, regardless of whether it is a physician or a nurse practitioner, it's my doctor. And so when we write copy, we need to use that phrase and not primary care physician, unless we're doing medical research, in which case by all means use the technical term, but it isn't about being right or technical or fancy or professional. It's about building that connection and you need to put the other person above yourself. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that because if, you know, the whole reason 
to enter into any kind of business is because you trust the person. And if, if somebody's speaking a language that you don't know, how are you supposed to trust them? <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the times that comes off a little like, uh, you know, just, oh, I'm talking over you. I'm above you. You know, you should understand this, but, you know, like it can come off that way, especially without a face. Like if you're not face to face with somebody and it's always in writing, especially like on social media or a blog post, it can come off really pretentious. And so, I love that we're bringing up this point to make sure that your messaging is dialed down and you're talking to the people you're talking to in the way that they actually speak and think and write themselves. And the goal of whatever you've written isn't to impress them. The goal is to get them to bring their question or to bring their problem to you. So your writing not only has to be friendly and personable, and you should read it out loud and say, is this something that I could hear in conversation at the grocery store? If it's not, it's not the right copy. I don't care what the SEO stats are on that piece. I don't care what AI has to say about it. You're not writing for AI. You're writing for people. And so if it doesn't sound like people, ditch a few SEO points in the tool and pick up some relationship points. You need to be the kind of person that people are like, I would be friends with them. I feel comfortable saying, I'm not sure how to handle this situation because that takes vulnerability. And so you literally roll out that Southern welcome mat and say, y'all come on in. (laughs) ask me your questions. I'm not going to shame you for not knowing. I'm going to encourage your learning process. And so how we write things changes our engagement rates. Well, and that actually, that's a good segue into my question, which is about brands actually infusing personality into their writing. So you kind of touched on it, but you know, obviously the writing in their marketing, do you think it helps brands more closely connect with their customers and prospects? Do you have any tips for like, for how to bring out personality, but still you know, remain professional because that's still got to be part of it too, right? Yeah. I worked in a very formal B2B setting for like five years. And one of the things we struggled with is they wanted to be the most professional people in the room at all times. They wanted to be the most posh, the most perfect. And they spent hundreds of hours training people on how to be the brand version of perfection. Well, then we talked to clients because they weren't getting the growth numbers they wanted to see. We talked to clients. One of the things that the clients told us is it's like walking into a wall of suits. Well, nothing about that is friendly. Nothing about that is helpful. And so I had brilliant people incredibly helpful, kind people, but they had put on this brand armor of a suit and this personality that the brand had prescribed. And it was off-putting to the clients. And because we weren't listening to the clients and we weren't asking the clients what kind of experience they wanted to have, it wasn't going well. And we would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars at conferences and events and networking things. And what clients really wanted when we asked was they wanted the ability to be just casual. They wanted the opportunity to be able to wear jeans to a cocktail hour one night. They didn't want to hear what the most perfect thing was for them to do. They wanted to know how much risk are they at? And is this a big deal? And how do we even get this started if they don't know? They wanted somebody that could pick up the phone and call and not have to schedule a formal meeting with. They wanted somebody that they didn't have to wear a suit to call. And I... It's really hard to change culture. And so the ask there was, let us have one time, one time where we each show up as our own selves and dress it down to like slacks and a polo, not too scandalous. We're not going big personality, (laughs) but significantly better conversations. People made introductions to friends, to peers, to networks. And so I think what is important is I think Jen brought up being pretentious. You don't want to be one step above what your client base and your audience is. Because that says you are coming to me in this power dynamic. 
you want to say, how do I befriend my audience and what do they need? And so if your brand standards are not in line with befriending your clients or befriending your audience and being a good friend to them, if that doesn't match, if it's about impressing them, you're going to struggle to build a connection no matter what tech tools you have, no matter how good of a writer you are, no matter how much money you spend on advertising, because you're just not the kind of person that's going to build a strong connection. And it isn't about content. It's about connection. Yeah. So in terms of adding personality, then it sounds like companies would be well served to like workshop with each other, but also to, you know, maybe have a focus group of of customers who they could trust, you know, to ask, like, I don't know. Well, I mean, it depends on the kind of company you are too, right? If you're a bank, the personality might not be quite the same, but we see I mean, through commercials, insurance companies have tons of personality in their commercials. Is that how they're interacting with their customers on the phone and in sales? You can have a personality and still be professional. That's true. And I, I think a lot of us, especially early on in our careers, make the mistake of thinking that professionalism is the personality. And then we're not a person. Well, you can't connect to a non-person. Like you have to have something about you that people want. Yes. I do think it's worth then putting it in your brand guidelines. I mean, I do that when I would talk with customers and we do discovery, we ask those questions like, what do you think describes your persona? You know, are you lighthearted? Can you, can you joke ever, you know, those kinds of things. And so I think it's important for companies to actually look at that because I I don't know that they necessarily do. I think they're just like, Hey, this is our brand. And I don't think they think that deeply about it. Yeah. So one of the places that I talk about listening a lot, one of the places that I like to look is I like to filter by the employee skew. And then I go like, I go look and see if employees are posting stories and experiences. And if your employees feel like they can't, you'll just see quiet. You won't necessarily see negative. You'll see quiet. And quiet tells me that you have a culture problem and that people don't feel like they're allowed to have a personality within your organization. And if your employees feel like that, then they're not bringing that to your client relationships and you're not going to grow at the same rate. So if you find that you have a little bit of, maybe you're, you're making a shift and you're trying to be more personable, go look at conversations that are happening online. Go look and filter by just your employees' online engagement. And if they're quiet, then they may be scared. And if they're kind of like scared, nervous, not sure how to bring a little bit of their personality to the professional space, start rewarding and doing shout outs for everybody that brings just a little bit. And say, this was amazing. And I don't care what level at the company you're at. I used to not send shout outs to people that were executives. You know, if, if their salary was 10 times what mine was, I didn't send them a shout out. And then I was like, well, that means that they're not getting their fair share of compliments. And that's kind of a terrible life to live. So I started and I just would find, and I would just, I I can't CC your boss if you're the owner, but I can CC your work bestie. And so I would just CC somebody on your team and it made a world of difference. Just to say, this is something that you tried and it was new and it was scary. And I am proud of you for stepping out of your comfort zone and doing that. And here's what the analytics say. People responded to this. Look at these people, these cool people connected with you because you brought a little bit of your personality to work today. And it was fantastic. And it doesn't matter that they only got four clicks. Those four clicks were a really big deal when you were dealing with no engagement before. Right. For sure. That's amazing. Have y'all seen similar things with um, shifting kind of the culture in marketing departments? Yeah, I know. Well, I've worked for, like in the last few years, I've worked for different kinds of companies. I worked for Social Media Examiner, 
remotely. And I felt a little siloed there, you know, after one specific boss left. I, like I had one boss would be like messaging me all the time and, hey, how are you feeling about doing this? What do you what do you think about like doing this fun idea? Hey, I want you to take control of this. And it was amazing. And then he left and things changed for a little while. But then I went to work for an agency that was like most of their clients were local to them, but I lived in Kansas and they were in Ohio. <laughs> and so like I was trying to bring my love, like how I know that I love Kansas and Wichita and take that passion for where I live and transfer it to Ohio. And so it was, it was a little bit different. And so that took a lot of different communication and encouragement. So I, I needed a lot of the encouragement say, hey, I see this parallel from your personal Instagram and how you're writing for this client of ours, Jen. And I think that's exactly what we're looking for. And I'd be like, okay, oh my gosh, that's what I'm going to keep doing. This is great. So I think the communication and the bringing what you know you're good at and giving and um, being given some control and more freedom to go do it even more for clients or for whoever for your community is so empowering. And I could definitely personally feel a big change in, in my motivation and in my spirit for what I was doing in, in those things, for sure. Okay, so now we've touched on this a, a little bit, Amy, but I want to I dive a little deeper. And I, we touched on it very, very subtly. How can you develop content across your marketing channels to speak to people through the different phases and your relationship with the customer. Like Megan brought up, like, how does this look in sales or how does this look on paper? How can you, you know, develop wording across your different channels, across the client journey to make sure that you're keeping people engaged? So one of my favorite tricks is to actually ask everybody that has client or prospect interaction. I usually set it up as a challenge to either BCC me or forward their best emails. And I'll, I'll set it up as a game and I'll say, hey, the best client client question that you've been asked this week, the most <laughs> helpful that you have been this month, forward me that email. Because what I find is we already have fantastic conversations happening with clients and prospects, but it's happening in one person's inbox. We have thousands yeah. of clients and we have hundreds of thousands of people who are influenced potentially by our content. And so I steal that content and I'm like, thank you, Megan. This was an excellent, helpful way to help this client who's dealing with this issue. But I bet we have other clients that are dealing with this too. So I grab it and I clean it up just so it's sanitized and we're not sharing any secret client information. And I drop it in a um, shared folder as a template. And then any pro from the organization can grab that. And they already have a response that we know performed really well, a question that maybe we should have more clients asking. And then I take that and flip it into different channels. So, you know, maybe that wow. turns into a blog post roundup of the best advice our advisors have given this month. Maybe it stays as a helpful snippet. You know, what other clients would likely be dealing with this issue and maybe have not thought to ask yet? Well, grab the template yeah. and send it. But it a little bit marketing automation-y because you can hook it up to mail merge. Let's say you're an advisor that has 60 clients that fit the criteria, hook it up to mail merge and it'll look like you sent them each a personalized email with great copy and a subject line and pre-header written by a marketer. So to steal all of the bonus from that, but then just be the super helpful person. But then you don't have all of these people writing the same content or trying to write when they're nervous about writing. But yeah. Uh, it keeps you brand consistent because the template that you've taken, you've taken the expertise from someone who does that for a living. Let's say it's tax advice. Uh -huh. And then you put a marketer's spin on it for the brand relationship kindness piece, that personality, that voice, and then anybody can grab it and wow. you just make that available. But then you, you have to flip back and brag on people and say, this was incredible. Thank you for sharing. Because people are really right. nervous that first couple of times when you're asking them to be an author 
they're terrified. And so you need to make sure that you're showing them that you will honor their trust and make sure that they always look amazing in public, that you're there to showcase their best and that you will not betray their trust with the client that asked the question. Wow. Oh, wow. I love that. That is an incredible process. Everyone feels, everyone wins. Everyone feels good. And it helps on the marketing side when you're working with a small team, because it is exhausting to constantly have to write new content. Well, I don't need to write new content. I just need people to share their inboxes with me. And I I don't actually want an inbox share because that would be, that would be too much. I just want, I want you to hit forward on your best email of the week. And so I just, I'll send out a request and I'll say, you know, we're having a competition. I want to see who gave the best piece of advice, whose client asked the best question this week. And it helps create more engaged social media channels. And sometimes you can forward it to the client and say, you inspired this great advice and we won't tag you in it because it's your question. It's confidential, but we're so proud to have clients that are leading the thought process in this arena. We're just so thankful. And sometimes they'll hop on and say, we love this. This was us. And they'll claim it. Well, then you have a piece of UGC to run off of. You just gave Jen so many. She's like, I can see the wheels turning. (laughs) Oh my God. Must start work now. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Amazing. Amazing. It's hard to get started though, because it, depending on yeah. what type of culture with that client yeah. that you're working with, yeah. there's a lot of fear in that. So it starts very small and you need one, maybe two people to say, ma'am, you are crazy. And I don't know what you're up to, but the last time you did something weird and crazy, it turned out really well. So I'll give you two <laughs> hours of my time. I'll take it. I'll take it. I love it. Uh, and then you showcase what happens with that. And you're just a good steward of their trust and their time. Right. We'll build that yeah. relationship between marketing and your other departments. Wow. I love it. I love it. I'm trying not yeah. to say I love it as much. I'm trying to be at more creative with my feedback, but sometimes there's just not another, <laughs> not another <laughs> thing to say. So my question goes to, I, my next one is, you know, we, we had told we want to address our prospects pain points, right? Which can lead to a negative or a fear-based approach, which some people think is a fine approach. Um, How do you feel about this fear-based approach in marketing? I have a really hard line. If you want to work with Savvy Mutter, we don't allow fear mongering in any of your content. And I want people to think about their audience because it's seemingly gets really great click. Uh, But I want you to think through that entire life cycle, or I want your clients to think through that entire life cycle. And so here's how I explain that. Yes, you can get a really great click because people click because they're afraid. But how do people feel about themselves and about you by the end of that piece that you click baited them into? So it can perform really well on the front end. But how how many good conversations is that driving on the back end? How much trust is that building in the back end? And it's not great. I have never seen one actually perform well. If we're talking about clicks and analytics, they look great. But I'm talking about dollars, relationship, and lifetime value on the client. That number, it doesn't compute. I've never had someone actually bring me numbers to show me that that's wrong. People don't want to spend money feeling bad about themselves. So a lot of times it can be really popular to say, are you making these five mistakes? Are you doing these seven things wrong? Well, I am one person and I have 24 hours in the day and not all 24 of them are dedicated to work. I am a woman who appreciates having joy in her life and I am going to be constantly improving myself. What I am interested in is how do I make the most with what I have and where I'm at? in my business process. And I am looking for people that are going to help me facilitate that instead of looking for ways to just be negative and be like, you did this little thing wrong. You did that little thing wrong. So when I, the other thing that I tell people is, so we don't allow that at all. And if that's important to your business, if you can't get on board with that rule, 
you just can't onboard and be a part of Savvy Mutter. Like we're not going to create any content for you if you can't be on board with that rule because we want to build solid relationships and we want to see the outcomes on that project. And we're not going to be connected to something that doesn't produce good outcomes. So I have a hard rule there. And I explain that on the onboarding process. What I tell them to do is open-ended questions. When we ask open-ended questions, especially in an H1 tag, in a header or in a subject line and say, how are you addressing this? Our brains feel forced to respond. Like our brains have to fill that in. We're like, well, I was going to try X. And then in your article or in your piece, you say, you know, there are different ways to address this depending on your situation. And here are some context items you want to talk through. But if you want to make a great plan for you, we're going to tailor that experience to who you are, what you are, and what you want. And then it flips it from a, I am in a position of power and I know all things and you're doing it wrong to a position of how can we help you address this in your best way, which may look different than your peer two states over. You can address pain points in a positive way too, right? It doesn't have to be fear-mongering, which could erode trust, right? We know that nine out of 10 people are experiencing X and here's, you know, how to recover from it or whatever, you know, whatever the back the yep. solution is. Yeah, there's definitely different ways to do that. But I, I appreciate your perspective on that. I, and I agree, clickbait is the worst. I, I hate, I get so angry when I get into an article and I'm like, wait, this is not what I expected it to be. <laughs> so, yeah. I think all of our, if all of our content I I tell people content is a noun. It's a thing. The connection is what makes it powerful. So when we talk about the benefits from content marketing, we're not actually talking about content. We're talking about using it as a tool to build a connection to people. And you want that connection to represent your brand standards, which should be friendly, helpful, some variation of a positive, a quality that you would want to have in a person-to-person friend. And if it's only negative... That's not a person that you would invite to happy hour. And if you wouldn't invite that person to happy hour, you are not going to invite that person into your business. That's yeah. a very fair point. Yeah, I get that. All right. It is brain break time, friends. Ooh. This is the first week of spring. So I would like our brain break topic this week to be what's your favorite thing about spring? And I'm going to let Jen go first. What do you think, friend? Well, you know, I have a couple of things that I, I love about spring. I feel like, you know, after the holidays, things get quiet and they get long and they get kind of just boring and we can't wait for it to be warm outside. So what I love about spring is literally everything comes back to life. The kids go back to baseball. We can go do fun things outside because we live in Kansas and, you know, the winter is cold and we don't live in San Diego. (laughs) It's amazing all the time, but like we can get outside, we can do fun things, um, sports. And then of course, of course, of course, of course, I love decorating my house for spring. Oh my gosh. So I spent a lot of time before this decorating my house for Easter and, oh, you know, the pastels (laughs) and the flowers and oh my gosh, the Easter eggs. Oh so cute. I love it. Awesome. What about you, Amy? Well, I'm a golfer, so I appreciate the return of my sport. I used to play at Missouri State and we had to play through the winter. And let me tell you, having wind burn everywhere you didn't have a piece of clothing is miserable. It's miserable. Well, spring opens back up and you are back to sunshine. It's often very muddy. And so you just get real comfortable um, using a, you know, some tide and some shout to get the mud out of your clothing. (laughs) But just being able to get back to actually green fairways start popping back up. 
up and the landscape that someone architect, you know, comes back to life on the course. And it's just nice to get to be outside in those outdoor outdoor activities again. And then my house was built in like 1960 and the original builder's grandson lives down the street from me, which I've never met him, but apparently he's had pictures of my house and like follows with the house journey because it's part of the family. Um, But whoever built this house loved their gardens. And so I have hundreds of yards of Rose of Sharon bushes and I have forsythias everywhere. I have like 40 yards of peonies. Uh, oh my, my house gosh. is just like old historic irises, daffodils, daylilies, oh, wow. you name it. My house <laughs> is just the secret garden on overload. And so every year I find someone that could use some bulbs or some shrubs or some something else. And I fill up big buckets And I once drove up and down my street in the country. I live in the country, but I driving up and down on my lawnmower with my cart and it was just (laughs) full of irises. And I was just stopping at people's houses. I'm like, you like some purple irises. I've got a few hundred extra bulbs that I had to thin. And so it just is kind of a fun time of year where you just kind of bless someone's house with shrubs and bulbs. So it's just been an annual tradition. And so I've got a large bucket. I have a friend that bought a new home and she invited me to her housewarming party. And so I'm going to bring the shrubs and the, the bulbs and stuff for her, hopefully this weekend so that she can get them in the ground. But it's kind of fun to think about the places that these plants have gone. And I just like to think that the original man who planted all of these is looking down saying, my garden is just spreading joy all across, all across town. Oh. I was just going to say that you're spreading spring throughout the, <laughs> rather than just having it in your own place. That's amazing. Wow. I wish I had a garden, but I, alas, I don't, but I know. I'm not skilled things. at it. They're just really hardy. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, mine is baseball. I mean, okay. and that's right. When my NFL team lost an NFC championship game, I was like, all right, on to baseball. And then there was a lockout and it's been a like, a t- it's starting later than it's supposed to, but I am looking forward to my home opener on April 14th. And even though my teams I grew up with are not local to me, I'm still a fan of my local team, the Padres, because they're here and I'm a sports fan. And this is what I do. So (laughs) Um, I'm looking forward to that. And it got bumped to the evening. So now I don't even have to worry about like having to get off, you know, ask for the time from work. Um, I get to go. Oh, that's so perfect. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. All right, Jen, let's kick off the second half. All right, let's do it. Okay. Back to writing. So when writing for the relationship, instead of for the stats, What are some things that the marketer should keep in mind to keep folks engaged instead of feeling kind of lost or invisible? So I love Ann Hanley's Dirty First Draft. I think we all get lost in trying to craft the perfect piece because we all want to do our best work. We all want it to turn out amazing, but getting that idea onto the paper is hard. So here's things that I love to do. If you're struggling, if you're looking at a white page, I like to self-interview and I will pop open either Google Transcribe or I'll tell Siri to take a note, but I will write down two or three questions. And oftentimes those questions are things that I found our top searches around the topic. And I'll write those down and I'll self-interview. And I will just turn it on and have it transcribe. It has a little bit of trouble when I have a draw. So if I am writing with a glass of wine or writing while tired, sometimes (laughs) that translation is a little more fun. And I'm like, what did I mean here? But I then take that and I edit from there. And that's where you can go through and apply some of your SEO power. But Another thing that I pretty firmly believe in, and people will disagree, and that's fine. We can each have our own perspective. I write SEO conscious 
copy and not optimized. And that's an important thing that I always explain to clients because I will 100% every time I am faced with this is what's appropriate for SEO. This is what's going to be a better user experience. I'm going to pick the audience every single time. I am okay with losing a few points on my SEO tools to get a better experience. We have all read recipes where it was like 20 scrolls to get to the recipe card. And that is frustrating. Well, the reason is because they needed to pack enough photos and story and, and tags in there for SEO for their recipe to perform well. But I would like to get to the recipe in under three minutes, even on rural Wi-Fi. So I would just like the recipe card or I'm going to bounce. So I tell people, you know, is this the experience that you want? You know, two more paragraphs here would give you, you know, a few extra points when we're scoring this for performance. But is that kind? Is that helpful? Is that going to get them to the powerful point faster, better? Yes, you want these 12 pieces of information on your contact us form, but would you give that much information to ask a question when you're not even sure that you want to reach out to them in the first place? Right. No, no, you wouldn't. So what information would you? And if we really want to be audience you know, centric. Are you willing to tell them how you will and will not use their information? Are you willing to tell them that they will not be auto subscribed to anything for asking Mm -hmm. a question? Because then you'll get more questions if they know for a fact that that won't happen. Yeah. And then you answer their question really well and say, Hey, I put out great information all the time. Would you like to sign up? But just promising that there won't be an auto opt in will change your form there too. So I think as marketers, when we wear a thousand hats and we all do, we want to be the best at our craft. And so we are looking at what is going to create the best social media performance. What is going to create the best SEO performance? What is going to create the best? And we fill in any and every analytic, but we need to kind of question and pause ourselves sometimes and say, well, that's true for this one discipline, but what creates the best relationship? Is this what a friend would do? If I was the brand and I was trying to befriend this person, is this how I would handle this situation? Is this what they would need in that situation? And ask the question. I think you'll find that there needs to be a little bit of flexibility in your processes to accommodate that. Yeah. What would a friend do? You've used that, you've used that a few times. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely love the part about not having 10 fields to fill out on a and then being auto opted into something. Jeez. I've, so I've tested it. And there are two, at least at the time, there were two significant drop-offs. Zero to six had one performance rating. Adding even two more fields, getting it to eight, mm-hmm. you saw a big drop-off in percentages. Once you had more than eight fields, people just weren't. People weren't going to fill out more than eight. And you have to think about it on your mobile screen. If they're accessing it via mobile, that is a lot to have to text out into those fields. And a scroll and yeah. And it's annoying. And so you'll just bounce. You will find some other way to do it. And so what information do you have to have to be able to answer their question, to be able to help them? What is required? And I see it I see it a lot from uh, small companies and from nonprofits. And they're like, well, but I don't want to have to go back and input this other information about them. So I should just get all their information at one time. And I'm like... No, you got to you got to know them first. You got to know them and and talk to them and have some kind of a relationship before you ask them for their home zip code. You you have to have some information before you, you know, require that they share all of this other personal information with you. So just give them enough to start that conversation and then you come back and get that information later. We can set up a data import of some kind to clean that up so you're not having to manually enter all of those, but let's figure that out on our end because if you're stopping them before they even stick out their hand to say hello, and then they're like, man, even to shake your hand, I have to, I have to do all of these things. I'm not going to apply to be your friend. <laughs> like, I just want to shake your hand and say hello. So allow yeah. that. Yeah. I love that. That's perfect. 
Um, so I'd like if you would talk to our, our listeners about what you call a selfish chart and how you see how it relates to NFT marketers. What is it and why 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 is it a good thing to walk through? And I, Jen and I are both kind of unsure about the whole NFT thing, but I love that you brought that up. And so I would love if you could um, speak to that. What's a selfish chart? What's that all about? So I, I can't help you with NFTs, but I can help you with the selfish chart. Okay. Um, so a lot of times I have people that their performance stats on a channel, it's not where they want. And they're like, man, I have been doing all this work and I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not getting the results that I want. And I'm like, okay, are you going to give me access to your account? Can I look at the metrics? Then they're like, sure. So then I pop up a year's worth of emails. I am a big fan of color coding. I take a highlighter and I write, and I will take that highlighter and highlight how many times they made an ask of the audience and how many times they gave something valuable. And then I will highlight how many times did they ask? How can I be a better friend to you? How can I help you? What is something that you're struggling with? What content do you want? And I have three colors. And then I will open up their social media and same thing. I'll print off a few months worth of posts and I'll highlight it. And I'll say, you are acting selfish and you are not a selfish person, but you are presenting yourself as selfish. And so unless someone is, has the confidence and the personality to say, I need help and I need you to pay attention to me, then you're not going to get engagement. And so we go through and what we find is you'll write an article on a topic and it is for generating sales. But what if they are in a position to buy? Did you still offer them something helpful for their time? Maybe you didn't give them an answer, but you gave them a great question to ask, a great place to start considering. Maybe you gifted them a thought process or an idea or a great challenge that they could try internally. But did you gift them anything or did you ask for their time to open that email and read it and then ask them to become a client? And that was it. You just asking, asking, asking. Well, that is a very selfish email. And there are times when you should have an ask. Right. But if I look at your chart and it is just bleeding red and you just are constantly asking for time, attention, you're asking for engagement, you're asking for new clients, you're not the kind of person I want to see in my feed and inbox more often. You aren't kind. And I'll just, I think that's where you have to be very intentional that whatever you promised to be in your brand standards, you're actually living. And so I don't know what that number is for everybody else, but you need to set a number and say, I'm just going to do a quick little check in with myself each month and say, is at least 25% of my content this month friendly, kind, and helpful? with no selfish undertones. There's nothing in it for me. I'm just trying to be kind. And I'll give you an example. Last month, Rachel Peterson sent an email and it was like three sentences. Normally it's packed with content and opportunities to get involved, opportunities to get engaged. She sent like a three sentence email that said, Hey, are y'all okay? She was like, the world's gone crazy. Things are rough. Are y'all okay? There was no formatting. There were no links. There was no nothing. It just was a little emotional connection moment. And I was like, I didn't see that coming. But I remembered it. I can tell you exactly who who put that in my inbox. Yeah. And I remember that. So and so that's my selfish chart. That's great. So I've I do I have a question on what it's something that I just is thinking like, is this selfish? So this podcast, for example. She and I are not trying to gain anything from it. We don't make money from the show. We don't, you know, like it's a passion project that has gone on for four and a half years now. But we are sharing it out and wanting people to listen. And so I just got thinking all we really do from our, like from our mark, making a marketer Twitter is post about our episodes. Is that selfish? No, because our shows are helpful. Right. But we're selfishly wanting them to listen. I don't know. (laughs) Download. Um, That's a good question. (laughs) 
Well, I've seen posts where you say, what type of content do you want? You know, what do you want to see in the upcoming year? You've asked for people to put input onto what's on the roster or to recommend someone or to recommend a topic that they want. You aren't asking for people to sign up to purchase something from you. Right. You aren't asking for people to give their information to you. I see it more as a community connector. You're saying, hey, we're going to do these things. We're going to meet these people. Then you have the opportunity to ask questions to come back and say, Hey, I really enjoyed this episode. Everybody's on social. Y'all are on social and then come back and say, Hey, this was an interesting idea, but what does this actually look like? And y'all would respond to that and say, Hey, we've got a couple ideas. (laughs) We'll pop that up in a blog post somewhere and you can snag it. We should do a better job of asking questions of of doing that more engagement than, than we currently do. So thanks for that. (laughs) Jen. (laughs) (laughs) It's always good to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that we can do more for our community, we're definitely down to do for sure. So how does writing for the relationship eventually come back to have a positive effect on your marketing efforts? We've dove a little bit into this, but let's really package it up. And then how do you measure success? Okay. So how does it come back? How does not being selfish in your marketing, how having those, let's call it our content standards, having content standards for the words that we use, the strategies that we use, the tactics that we say, absolutely not. No fear-based clickbait over here. How does that come full circle? You're going to see it in a couple different buckets and you have to set up how you're monitoring those metrics on the front end, or you won't get to see them. Because if you are only looking at opens, clicks, engagement stats through the social media portal, you'll miss it. What I ask for from my teams, if it is a service line, like a business to business relationship and it's service-based, a lot of the contacts are going directly to who got listed as an author and directly to their inbox, skipping the contact us form, skipping all the analytics and tracking. And so I want them to forward to me every time they get like a really great conversation from a client or they get an engagement letter. And the second thing is I want people to track their referrals. So a lot of times when I share good advice with one person, and I think that that is what I did. I did that one thing. Um, I helped that one person. I will get an email from someone else in my network and say, hey, that email got forwarded around and I have been using that. And it'll happen like eight months later. And I'm like, I didn't even know that that went somewhere else. And so you have to like kind of come back and say, well, that point goes in this column. But in my bio, I... I put that I'm best known for being a little bit gritty and changing how people think about marketers. I've scared a few people where you walk into meetings and they're like, I don't know what she's talking about. And this sounds terrifying. What is she signing us up for? Because I'm asking people that are really successful at their job to try something different because they are an incredible professional. They have incredible skills but they're scared of social media. They're scared of publishing. They don't feel like they're a good writer. They didn't sign up to be a business developer. They signed up to be an expert, but now they have to be on stage. I'm going to ask them to speak. Lord have mercy. I'm going to put them in front of a camera and it's scary. Um, So I am the person that will absolutely drop kick you right out of your comfort zone. And I tell people, I am going to give you enough space that you can make a mistake as you're learning this skill or as you're trying something new, but I am not going to give you enough space to allow you to fail. I know where we're headed. I know what we're doing. And I have set this up with buffers. Um, And I am asking for you to give me a little bit of trust and a little bit of time, and I will show you how it works. And so we walk through it. But when we want to see how things turn into outcomes, we don't just want to look at the analytics through our normal marketing channels. We also need to track the off-channel conversations because people will come back and tell me, you know, this person referred me to you. This person said I should follow you. I heard that you are the person behind this thing. I have heard people talking about how you just flipped a 180 on this and changed everything. Um, I had people that would bring their market. It was an interesting thing at conferences. I would have people bring me a marketer 
and say, would you go have lunch with her? And like, I don't know either person in this conversation or why that I'm supposed to have lunch with them. But then someone, I'm getting like a text message from a team member and they're like, Hey, I told people that really cool things were happening with you and they're going to bring you their marketer. I'm like, yep, they're here. They're here. And they're like, go to lunch with them. We want to be good friends with them. And if you'll help their marketer and idea share and kind of build that community, it will help us land more clients as well. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to lunch, but you have to track those like in-person relationships, not just what we can see on the dashboards. I love my dashboards. They're beautiful. They're sexy. They've got cool information, but sometimes the best indicators of winning are in your DMS. They're in your inboxes and they're in your text messages where people tell you that they were talking about you at some event, or they've teed you up to speak, or they've sent someone to you and they're little. Yeah. I had one. I had someone yeah. text me that last night. He said, I met someone today that you need to meet. I'm going to connect you. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. At a conference that I was supposed to be attending, which I'm sad. The podcast um, <laughs> evolutions is going on right now. Anyway, I digress, which is funny because it was Troy Sandage <laughs> that's, that texted me. Oh, um, that. <laughs> so as our final question to all guests, We love a good business book recommendation. What book would you recommend our listeners check out? I love Great on the Job by Jody Glickman. And it it ties into our topic for today. And it's something that I have mandatory reading. If you're going to be one of my direct reports or mentees, you have to read the book. Read it at work, on the clock, but you have to read the book. And I hand them a template and I say, this is how I want updates from you. Because what it walks through is you are not writing an update. You are not sharing an update at work. It is not about what you know. You are teeing up the person who is going to respond to you to say, yes, approved, move this forward. Two, I know what type of problem that is. Here's information that I can give you to help you move through that. Or three, no, we need to set a meeting. But I need to be able to respond in one sentence on my phone so that I can give you the fastest response possible, which means I need to be able to respond like in between meetings. And so learning to write and manage upwards. And one thing I tell people is you should write. I have, I have a template that I hand people that's an update project update template, but what information is needed. And I have them save it in their templated inbox settings. Just go through an edit, go through an edit. It has the subject line already typed out. What type of response are you asking for from me? Are you asking for my approval? Are you asking for more information? What is the critical information that I need to know about this project? Always include a link back to the project management system so that if I need to go in and look at it, I can go directly to it and not have to search. And then a recommendation. I don't care if it's your first day on the job or your 50th year. I want to hear what do you think is the appropriate best step? And that helps everybody bring their best self to the office. It helps everybody be the kindest to their teammate. And it keeps you from writing. You don't need to write a novel. I don't need all the background and all the other information. But I think that book helps people change how they work, especially when they're an early careerist coming out of academic writing and needing to flip to business writing. You can be professional, kind, and concise all at the same time. And who doesn't love that kind of an email from a colleague? Men. Clear and concise. That's what I'm after these days. I'm not always getting it. So I appreciate that more than I can even express. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to check that out. That is a great book recommendation. And of course, we will have a link to that in the show notes. Amy, it always goes by way too fast, but we really appreciated you joining us. And I know our listeners are, are even, you know, Jen and I obviously both learn from you. And that's part of the reason we do this. <laughs> we want so we can learn from our guests. And, uh, and I know that everyone's going to be able to 
put a lot of this practical stuff to work right away. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's a great industry idea share. We all have different processes that we've tried in in different work environments and you put them out there and you just see what will help different people. So I hope we hear back. I hope some people try some different tactics and I hope we get a tag on the show that says, Hey, I tried this. My team loves it. Or we tried it and we made some tweaks and here's what we love instead. So I hope we get that feedback loop from people. That would be lovely. Yeah, we find in podcast world and I am guilty of it too. I just listen and I move on to the next. So I'm not, we don't get a ton of of direct feedback on the show, but we do, we run into people on the streets and at conferences and stuff and we get, we get good feedback in that way. But yeah, I hope so too. And I will prompt people for, for a response in the, in the social posts. Thank you also, Miss Jen Cole. Have a beautiful birthday. Thank you. I'm excited. I think it's going to be wonderful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. It's hard for you to have a bad time. Man, I had a birthday and then you're, <laughs> you're golden. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, friends. This has been episode 102 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will catch you next time.